out of character kind of stories my journey in Connecticut. You know, it was created two years after me coming out here. It has evolved much like I've evolved out here. You know, I've become a man out here. I've become a father out here, a homeowner. I got stocks, 401ks, investment properties, things like that, right? I've become a man out here. And now I will take everything that Connecticut, that Nebraska, that England, that Japan, that California has taught me, and I will use that to be the very best version of myself in San Antonio, Texas. This is the Out of Character Podcast. Introducing your host, Brian. Welcome, world. Welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast, my favorite podcast, your mama's favorite podcast, the out of character podcast ladies and gentlemen as always i am your host brian colbert my friends call me bc you can call me bc too if you listen and if you're listening we appreciate you for listening if you're a first time listener welcome if you're a returning listener welcome back we hope you enjoy the show thank y'all for being here thank y'all for always supporting thank y'all for allowing us to get to 34 episodes 34 episodes sounds like a lot right but it flew by ladies and gentlemen it flew by it seems like just yesterday we were starting the out of character podcast and we have had so much fun doing these episodes with you guys talking with y'all sharing stories with y'all and i cannot wait to continue to do this stuff so let's get started right away if you are not familiar with the podcast and you maybe are not familiar with my older sister but if you are familiar with the podcast if you are a returning listener you have heard me talk about my older sister quite a lot and ladies and gentlemen i have to start off the show congratulating my older sister yes ladies and gentlemen my older sister deserves a round of applause because she just put on major now a lot of y'all might not know what that means but let me tell y'all she got a promotion i know all y'all listening know what promotion means that means more money that means more bankroll that means more responsibility and it also means that her hard work has garnered the respect of her peers and her superiors because you don't get a promotion any other way right ladies and gentlemen that is the only way you get a promotion in this world is by working your tail off especially being a minority especially being a woman especially being a black woman imagine how hard it is to get promotions in the military and my sister did that so i have to give her a round of applause now like i said she pinned on major now what that means is that my sister is an officer she is an officer in the u.s air force now still might not know what that means that might mean nothing to you now me if you know me i grew up a military brat and when you grew up a military brat you know all kinds of military vernacular you know all kind of things about the air force the army the navy even if your family aren't a part of that branch you learn all kind of different things because it's just the lifestyle that you live and a lot of people don't live that lifestyle right it's a very finite amount of people that have been in the military or that have had family that have served in the military and they understand that life so let me break it down for you a little bit what this means and why i feel it's so necessary to start the show showing my sister love and giving her flowers. Now, the reason I found this so important to share with y'all at the beginning of the show, not just because it's a promotion and we all know promotion means more money, right? We all love that, you know what I'm saying? That's always something to celebrate. But I really wanna break down what it means to get promoted to major as a black woman. Now, for those of y'all that don't know, 
when you get promoted in the military there's a whole ceremony it's a really big deal so they do this whole ceremony where you get your stripes or your badges or whatever pinned on to your uniform and it's a whole ceremony you do it in front of your family a lot of times your family can be involved people you that you know have been a part of your military journey your loved ones whatever have you they are a part of this ceremony because of covid things have changed and my sister in general doesn't really do the ceremonies when she promotes she just kind of makes it happen and just moves on to the next thing my sister is very much like about her business and you know she don't really give herself enough time to reflect as i feel like she should on her big accomplishments um so she normally doesn't celebrate but i feel like with everything going on with with COVID-19 with people you know realizing how important family is and how important celebrating the little things are I feel like my sister found it important to celebrate this promotion for whatever reason so my sister decides to do the promotion ceremony at my parents house and it was dope my mom put together this amazing spread for her man got her a cake um, set up the tv had American flag in the background and had a bunch of different family and friends and even her sorority sisters jump on the zoom and you know be there to celebrate my sister we watched her do her promotion ceremony in my mother's living room and it was really really dope and a part of the ceremony was her husband who also is in the air force who also is a major in the military which is also super super dope that you have a black couple that are both majors making major money and doing really dope things in the air force protecting our country and all that and so her husband did the ceremony where he um read different accomplishments and accolades and be, i don't know if it was because of where i was at because we were on zoom because i was wearing headphones not really sure what it was or because they were in my mom's living room but there was a big echo so i wasn't really able to hear everything my brother-in-law was saying which was really sucked because it sounded like as if he was just speaking on all of the accolades and why my sister becoming a major before she's even 35 is such a big deal and i'm sure a lot of people can attest to this when you're in a profession or a major or you have a career where your family has never done that before right say you come from a family of carpenters and you decide to be an actor well a lot of things and a lot of nuances about that job about that career are probably going to go over your family's heads they're not going to understand it they're not going to get it and i think a lot of us on the zoom call were feeling that moment right there where we were just like wow i don't really realize how much Desiree, that's my sister's name, does on a regular basis how important it is because you don't think of those things because you don't really understand. Now, my parents, both military people, they get it. Have cousins, they get it, you know, but like somebody like me who just really doesn't understand and never will understand the day-to-day -day of what it, mean, what it means to be in the air force what it means to be an officer in the air force um it was it was very enlightening to the things i did hear my brother-in-law say but because i didn't hear so much because i missed so much it made me think like dang maybe i should look up really what this promotion means right really what it means for my sister to make this feat the odds that she was against and even really find out like dang how many black women are even in the position that she's in so like we like to do on how to character we did our research right we went to the googles and we did our research so i checked and these numbers are all from the air force personnel center it's a website i didn't make it up it's not wikipedia so please don't be mad at me but these are numbers i got from a military website there are approximately 330,000 active duty members in the U.S. Air Force. Of those 330,000, 64,000 
are officers. Now, there's two different things that you could be in the Air Force as far as I know. You can be enlisted, which I don't think you need a degree. I don't know what the basis are, but it's a little easier to enlist into the Air Force. When you're an officer, you have to go to school. You have to do all kinds of different trainings. It takes a lot more work to become an officer. So, of course, there's a lot less officers in the Air Force. So like I said, there's 330 active duty members in the U.S. Air Force. Of those 330, 64,000 are officers. My sister and her husband are officers. She is an officer. So she is one of those 64,000 people, which is already a small fraction of the 330,000 people that are in the Air Force. Now, that's 64,000, 22% are women, right? Roughly. Now, these are all rough numbers. These are all numbers they have up on there. You can go check them out. 22% of those are women. So you can just estimate that about 14,000 women are officers in the U.S. Air Force. Probably less than that because really we're playing with some like wild numbers, right? Probably less than that. But let's just say 14,000 just for math's sake, right? Now, only 15% of the U.S. Air Force identifies as African-American. Now, that's 15% of the 330,000. So let's just split it down the middle, right? Let's just say that half of that 15% are women. So we'll say 7% of women are black and are officers in the U.S. Air Force. Let's say just 7% of that, right? That would mean less than, and this is all rough numbers, less than a thousand women less than a thousand and let, it, let me tell you our number we started with was three hundred thirty thousand. less than a thousand black women are officers in the u.s military that means my sister is one of less than a thousand that is a small percentage ladies and gentlemen that is a tiny percentage of the total embodiment of the u.s air force now a thousand might sound like a lot still to you, right? A thousand in numbers maybe sounds like a lot, but let's look at it a little deeper. The U.S. roughly controls about 750 bases in at least 80 countries worldwide. So this is worldwide. This is not just in the nation. A thousand black women. And they don't give the numbers on how many actually make it to the major ranks. So my sister had to be promoted multiple times, multiple times to get to this point. So I say all this to say that my sister makes up a very, very small percentage of the black women officers in this world. And she put on management. And she did it all at a very, very young age. I'm not going to give you all my sister's age, but let me tell you all, she's not much older than me, which means that she is quite young. And she's accomplished so much so fast. And I had to break that down for you guys. I hope I didn't throw too many numbers at y'all. I hope that made sense. But I had to break that down for y'all because... It's impressive. It's huge. And I know my sister listens to the show and I think a lot of times we don't sit and really reflect on the things we're doing, the impact we are making in this life. And my sister's much like me, so I know she doesn't take the time to do that because there's still work to be done, right? There's still promotions to get. This isn't her last one. She has a long, lengthy career. Like I said, she's a young woman. But I think it's important for us to point out every single victory that we can. Because like I said earlier, ladies and gentlemen, we just got out of a pandemic. Nothing is promised. Nothing in this world is promised. And every moment is sacred. And let me tell you, when I watched my sister with my family, as she put on her rank, as she smiled, as she watched her man 
say great things about her, man, I, I, I was so proud. And I don't know if younger siblings are supposed to feel proud of their older siblings, but let me tell you, I feel proud of my sister every day. And I'm also so grateful for having an older sibling like that because when you have an older sibling that is so successful, my sister is a straight A student her whole life. Amazing at sports, amazing at chores, <laughs> amazing at clubs. My sister, anything she ever tried to do, even if she barely tried, she was just amazing at it. And when you have a sibling like that, it forces you to be your best self because we come from the same cloth, right? We cut from the same cloth, right? We have the same parents. We grew up in the same household. We got all of the same opportunities. If anything, I got more opportunities than her because I was born at a later date when my parents had more resources, more finances and things like that. So how can I not be a success? My sister laid out the blueprint. Yes, I am not in the Air Force. Yes, I am not in the military. No, I do not plan on ever going down that road. And yes, the road I went down is very, very different. But I am also a small percentage in my field. I am also minority in my field. The odds are also stacked against me in my field. But not like my sisters. I don't know if I could go and look up media numbers like that and say only 14% of my business is African-American. Maybe that's the case, but I, I strongly doubt it. So if my sister can beat these odds over and over and over again, because we talk about all the time on this show, the difference between men and women and how they're treated in this world. So her just being a woman makes her life harder immediately. Add being a black woman to that. Add being a part of the U.S. government to that. Add being in the U.S. Air Force, being an officer where you are responsible for leading hundreds of men. Some of these men are older than her as well. So if she is able to overcome all these obstacles over and over and over again, how can I not be successful? And that is an ideology I've kept through my whole life. And I believe it's gotten me to this point. And it's why I'm so proud of my sister and I'm so thankful for her. Because Des, if you're listening, you keep me going. I know I can never stop. I know I can never give up because I constantly witness you fulfilling your dreams. And I know you make light of it. I know you don't think it's a big deal. I know you think what I'm doing is, is great and all that. But let me tell you, I cannot even fathom the doors you are opening for young black women. In a field that's really, really important just by existing you are making a difference a huge difference one day i might have a daughter one day i might have a daughter ladies and gentlemen imagine that and what if one day she wants to be a superhero like her auntie does well now she has a path now she has a story to look to and say oh i can do that too I don't know if my sister had a lot of examples like that growing up. Yes, she had my mother, a strong woman that was enlisted, that balled out, that worked nine to five and cooked and cleaned and kept the house pristine. She had that example, but I don't know if she really had like a career path example of being an officer and, and doing it so young. But if I have a daughter that wants to do something like that, there's a path. If you're listening and you have a daughter that wants to be a soldier that wants to defend this country, they can look at my sister and her career path and say, wow, I can do this too. And that is why I'm in media. 
is because back when I decided to be a media, things are a lot different now, but back when I decided to be a media, not a lot of people look like me. To this day, still not a lot of people look like me. And I want little boys and little girls, whoever, to see me on TV, to see me fulfill my dreams, to say, oh, if he can do it, I can definitely do it. And I'm sure there are thousands, thousands, even her peers that look at my sister every day and are inspired, that say, wow, look at this queen go. And I know I'm one of those people, ladies and gentlemen. Shout out to my sister. Congrats to you, Dez, Major Darlington. That is huge. Two majors in the crib, man. Y'all are so impressive. I love you so much, sis. Shout out to you, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode 34. Episode 34 of the world's greatest podcast. Your favorite podcast. My favorite podcast. Your mama's favorite podcast. The Out of Character Podcast. As always, I am your host, Brian Colbert. My friends call me BC. You will call me BC, too, if you're listening. And if you're listening, we appreciate you for listening. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. We hope you've enjoyed this far. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. Thank you for being here thank you for constantly supporting and we got a lot to get into ladies and gentlemen this is an extra special episode if you've been watching and not listening you will notice that i am not in the out of character studio ladies and gentlemen the out of character studio is no more for the time being (gasps) yes i know gasp gasp no, ladies and gentlemen, out of character isn't going anywhere. No, ladies and gentlemen, the podcast isn't going anywhere. No, ladies and gentlemen, we are not leaving. But we are relocating. Ladies and gentlemen, this is my last week in Connecticut. My last week in Connecticut, ladies and gentlemen. And like I said, if you're watching, you will see that I am not in the studio. I'm in my living room. Well, what's left of my living room, the movers have come. The stuff is headed on its way. And I am headed to San Antonio, Texas, ladies and gentlemen. Yep, Texas. From the East Coast down to the South, Southwest. Because I think the South's a little different. We talk about like Florida and Georgia and stuff like that. But I am headed to San Antonio, Texas. And ladies and gentlemen, I've moved a lot in my life, a lot. Like I said, both of my parents are military. I've been moving since I was a little kid. I think I made my first move before I was even one years old. So moving is very, very familiar to me. And a lot of times when you move, and I, I think I realize that a lot of people don't move in life, right? Like a lot of people stay in the same place they've ever lived or maybe move once or twice. But me, I've moved several, several times. And because I've been doing it so long or maybe because like I started moving as a kid, you know, I always try to take time and reflect on my stay because I've never really stayed in places always like four to six years is my window. Like I said, ever since I was a little kid. I grew up in California. I think we left when I was like nine or 10 years old. And then ever since then, every four to six years, I'm moving. Even college, stayed there five, five, six years, moved here, been in Connecticut six years. Six years. And like I said, when I when I do move, I like to reflect on, you know, everything that's been, things that got me to this place, the good, the bad. Try to focus more on the good because, you know what I'm saying, at the end of the day, when chapters end, the bad really doesn't really matter. When people die, um, when relationships end, you know, a lot of times you don't really focus too much on the bad. It's just like, okay, you remember the good times and then you just know that that chapter is ended. And 
I try my best to focus on the good times. And I thought, what better way to leave Connecticut than to do a special podcast and do a special episode in Connecticut because so much of my time in Connecticut is out of character. So much of my memories, my hours, my free time has been spent in front of this microphone or in front of this camera making content for out of character whether that's on the street whether like i said that's a podcast whether that's espn stuff because out of character started at espn ladies and gentlemen so i said what better way to reflect on my time in connecticut than to do it on the podcast and honestly i want to do this because i feel like it's really going to force me to really really reflect you know really really dig deep and think about dang what did these last six years mean to me? Because they were a big six years, ladies and gentlemen. They were like my late adulthood. This was me leaving where I went to college and going out and going all the way to the East Coast, a place I have no familiarity with, a place where I had no friends, no family, nobody I knew at all. I really came out here. I never even saw the apartment I first moved into. I just came out here. Um, so I thought it would be great, you know, really great to just talk to you guys about Connecticut and first things first tell you guys why I'm leaving give you guys a little bit I'm not gonna give too much because you know how I like to be I like to be you know coy with a few things you know coy my middle name and I like to keep it coy sometimes um I will be moving closer to my family and when I say that I mean my parents now if you know me well you will know when I talk about my family it's very, very, like, very, very small. When I talk about the my real loved ones, the people I truly care so much about, the people I truly can't go days without talking to, and that's my mom, my dad, my sister, and, of course, now my son, my family, right, my blood. You know, loved my aunts and uncles and cousins to death, but when you move so much and when, you know, you're alone with just your family, you know, we've lived all around the world and we didn't have nobody else with us, the bond you grow with your parents and your siblings is just different. It's just different. And I left the house 17 years old, 17. So I already had a small unit, right? At this point, all I had was my mom and my dad. My sister had already left. She went to college because she's older. But now I'm going off on my own, right? 17 years old. By myself. And yeah, it was scary at times, but my parents raised me and my sister to be built for that. They raised us to go as far away from the nest as possible, right? They raised us to be able to be self-sufficient, to be great adults. And there was never no, oh, you could stay here after you graduate high school. Oh, take a year off. Oh, figure out what you want to do. There was none of that. It was, you're going to college or you're joining the military. One or the other, but you damn sure not staying here. That was the rules in my household. And that's what we grew up knowing. And because of that, it was never an option. We always knew we were going to just go off and take on the world. And because of that, I think I always had big dreams to go out and do big things. I always dreamed to be in Bristol, Connecticut one day because I knew I always wanted to work at ESPN. And I do believe the way my parents raised us and that some sort of attachment that they prepared us for um, really helped me out. So we fast forward to now where I'm going to be closer to them now. Like I said, I left 17 years old, 17. And 
as excited as I am to be back with my unit, right? To be back with my parents, to be with my peoples, people that love me more than anything, the people that have no choice but to love me, right? They're legally bound to love me. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in a long time, for the first time in 12 years, I will finally be back with my unit. I will be back with my parents. My sister will remain on the East Coast, which sucks because we just started living close together, which I was really excited about. I've already got to visit her. She's came to visit me too. It's been super dope because that like never happens. But for the first time, I will be with my parents again, 12 years. And first off, let me say, ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited. I can't wait to be next to my parents. I think about all the things I've accomplished on my own. Being a 17-year-old, you know, paying rent, moving, going to different places, you know, really not having anybody physically there. My parents have always been there, you know, a phone call away. They've always been a phone call away, right? Don't get me wrong. But it's different physically having people there. You know, I'm in college and we're having Thanksgivings and Christmases. Um, maybe not so much Christmas, but like Thanksgiving and certain holidays where you don't get a lot of time off. And all my friends are going back home with their family, right? They just driving right up the street, going to go see their fam. Maybe an hour drive. Me, I didn't get to do stuff like that. You know, um, I would have to go to my friend's house. Or I would just do it alone. A lot of times as I got older, I would just do it alone because being around other people's families made me really uncomfortable. And I believe that was because... In made me sad ultimately right like you know i miss my family you know i miss my mom's cooking um and at first i, I know i took it really hard like the first few years um because you don't realize when you leave the house the kind of things you're gonna miss but then after a while i got really cold right i don't want to say cold but i got really numb to it we'll call it that and i just got used to it that became what it was right not seeing my parents became normal and it has been the norm for 12 years i go visit them a lot especially a lot lately um, but as far as like spending, you know, years where, you know, they ride up the street, it just, just has not happened, you know, for uh, the better part of my life. 12 years is a very, very long time. And I say all that to to say as excited as I am to see my fam. I am also very anxious, very nervous. I've accomplished so much, like I said, right? I've accomplished so much on my own. And yes, I think. Dang, what can I accomplish with them there with the help? But then I also say, will I take a step back? Will I get comfortable? You know, you ask all of these things. And I don't think it's so much about me and my fam as it is about a move, right? As about something new. And a lot of times moves have been very, very easy for me because like I said, much like being away from my family, you become numb to it. You get used to it. You do it all the time, right? There's nothing new. But something about this move, it's just a little different. And like I said, at first I thought it was, you know, going to see my parents. It's been so long, man. How am I going to function again being around my parents again? It's been so long. I've been on my own. Now I'm going to be around family. What am I going to do? Nah, that's not it. The biggest reason I'm going out there is for my family. I'm excited to see them. And I do truly feel that you know, with them close to me, I'll be able to accomplish so much more because I've seen what it's done for others and I've had to overcome it. I've done a great job at it, but imagine what I can accomplish with an actual like whole support system with me, right? At least that's what I've been telling myself. I'm really excited about that. So then where's the nervousness coming from? I've moved before. I moved cross country before in Nebraska to Connecticut. That was, that was 
just as long, right? If not longer, that's crazy. You're leaving college to go off and do blah, blah, blah. But nah, that wasn't scary at all. I was ready to do that. I was ready. I was ready to get after it. So what makes me so nervous about this journey? It's not the length. I've done it before. And then you really sit and reflect on it and you think. Maybe it's not nervousness at all. Maybe I'm not scared at all. Maybe this is just another move. But maybe the difference is the love and attachment I have to the location. Ladies and gentlemen, when you move as much as I do, a lot of times you don't grow attachment to really anything. Relationships, friendships, schools, restaurants, apartments. You don't really grow bonds or attachments to things because you know that eventually you're going to leave those things and never see them again. Especially when you're like going from overseas, right? Like I'll probably never see the crib I lived in when I was in high school in England. I'll probably never see my high school in England ever again, right? That's just kind of how you feel. And that kind of mindset in itself is kind of different, right? So like I said, you get, you get numb to it. And I don't think I've really ever felt an attachment to a place like I do Connecticut outside of California where I grew up and where I spent most of my time. And so when I feel that and when I recognize that, like I said, it makes you want to sit and reflect on the six years that it was. What has Connecticut meant to me? What has Connecticut meant to my life? And honestly, if y'all listen to this podcast, y'all know I don't really prepare and I have not prepared anything for this. I just wanted to get on camera and just start talking. And I think if I'm going to really reflect on what Connecticut was, I got to start from the beginning. And the beginning actually started in Nebraska. I was in Nebraska. I was struggling, man. I was having a rough, rough time. You know, the effects of not having family close, not really having support system, not having really a lot of people around me I could trust, not having a job that I loved. Health wasn't all that good. There was a lot of just bad things going on that just made me really not so happy. I, I feel like maybe it was even compared to losing my job. I really do feel like it was like the lowest point of my life this time in Nebraska. And. I'm struggling, man. I'm really trying to figure out, you know, what's next. I think like a lot of college kids do, you know, you're in your first couple years post-college, you know, what am I going to be? What's my career? You know, am I going to be stuck in this dead end job? I've always felt like I was going to be great. I have always felt like I was going to be somebody. Am I really going to be somebody? You know, man, is the clock ticking? You know, man, some people out here getting married and, you know, making six figures already, man. What am I doing? And. I think a lot of that was going on and I was just in a bad space. I was just in a bad space to the point where I went up to this church in Nebraska. It's on like this big hill um, and it's like a traveler's church. So there's not like a pastor in there when you go, it's always open and you can just pull up and just, you know, pray and it's beautiful. And like I said, things were really bad. So my mom was actually in town. My mom was in town just looking out for me, making sure I was good. And you know when your mom comes in town and, like, stays with you when you're a grown-ass man, things ain't really that good, right? I don't even think I realized how bad things were at the time. But clearly things are not good if your mom pulling up on you um, and you're a grown-ass man. <laughs> but she was there, and so she takes me to this church. And, you know, she takes me there to pray and just, like, pray and just hope that I can get up over whatever I'm going through, get past whatever's going on. And, you know... I went off 
there's this little gravel road where there's this big, big cross. And Jesus is on the cross and there's like little gravel. And I remember I got on my knees on the gravel. Um, and I believe it's, uh, it's probably wintertime. So I don't even think I had shorts on, but I, be, I definitely remember being on the gravel and remember like feeling like the earth on my knees, right? And I remember looking up and I just remember saying, God, save me. I need more. I know this is not the life you and my ancestors had picked out for me. I know it's not. I know there's more. I promise you I'm ready. I promise you I'm ready. This cannot be life for me. Like I said, Nebraska was not my home. I never wanted to be there. I was miserable while I was there. I had some great friends there. I had great times there. But as far as having to live in Nebraska, the idea of it, the thought of it, even the way I was treated like within my college and things like that, it just it put a bad taste in my mouth and I wanted to leave. I spent most of my years there plotting my escape. So I'm praying and I'm praying and my mom's next to me. I go back into the church where my mom's next to me and I'm praying and this overwhelming calmness comes over me that I haven't felt in a long time. It's like I said, I've been in a, a nasty place. You know, I was in a sad spot and this calmness comes over me. And I remember looking at my mom and telling her, you know, mom, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be good. And I don't know why I felt that way outside of the fact that, you know, I just felt it was like Jesus talking to me, telling me, like, you're going to be OK. Look at what I've been through. They nailed me on the cross. You don't think you can get through what you're going through right now, sir? That's what I felt. The next day, I'm sitting on my couch and by myself. My mom stepped away to go do something. And my phone rings and it says Bristol, Connecticut. And I dropped to the floor. Because I knew only one number was calling me from Bristol, Connecticut, and that was ESPN. Because like I said, I have dreamed my entire life about getting this call. Don't even remember applying to whatever this job is they're calling me for. But I see Bristol, Connecticut, and I just felt an overwhelming sensation that this was my shot. And I answered the phone, and the nice young lady um, from HR interviewed me right on the spot. And I did great. She said, I'll let you know. What happens next? We'll be giving you a call. Do you have another interview? And I remember I was so excited. I dropped to my knees and I thanked God and I started crying because I was like, what? Is this it? Is this what I've been praying for? I always wanted to go to ESPN. I didn't think I'd get there until I was like 40 or 50. Is this it? And I tell all my family and I tell, actually, that's it. I only told my family. I didn't tell nobody else because I'm very private. But I tell my family, none of them believe me. Right away, they're like, oh, that can't be real. That can't be fake. This is ESPN we're talking about. How does some kid from Nebraska that spent most of his life overseas end up at ESPN? That doesn't happen. It wasn't like I was a straight-A student. It wasn't like I had a current job that was just amazing. Yes, I was a producer, but I wasn't doing anything groundbreaking. How the hell is ESPN calling your phone? Are you sure it isn't fake? That's what everybody asked me. But it wasn't fake, ladies and gentlemen. It wasn't fake. And before I knew it, ESPN was flying me out from Nebraska to Connecticut. Little old me was flying to what in my mind was one of the biggest cities, like this huge city. I'm flying to the city. New York's right up the street. There's going to be skyscrapers and big buildings. Man, I'm out in the cornfields. Get me out of here. And I fly to Connecticut. And the drive from the airport to Bristol is about like a good 30, 35 minutes. And on that drive, I see Hartford 
which is a far bigger city than Omaha is. Let me tell you, man. There's actually like big buildings and stuff like that. And I just remember getting the chills. Remember getting the chills. And I'm driving, I'm driving. And then I get to Bristol. And for those of y'all don't know anything about Bristol, Bristol is literally nothing. It has nothing there. It's just dead. I never thought I'd see a place that had less going on than Omaha, Nebraska, or Lincoln, Nebraska. But let me tell you, Bristol beat them out by far. But what Bristol does have is the worldwide leader in sports, ESPN. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm driving down this road, a road that I've taken a million times now. But I'm driving down this road for the first time, and I see ESPN. And when you drive down the road, you see these big red letters that say ESPN right in front. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it was everything I could have imagined. It was everything young BC used to dream about and more. I don't think I could fathom how amazing the ESPN campus was. It was beautiful. And I went to the hotel that they got me and checked in and went to sleep and then I was up bright and early at ESPN and I went there and in my suit and I interviewed and I killed my interviews. I impressed everybody I met and I just knew this was my shot. And ladies and gentlemen, I was right. Soon after ESPN calls me, they offered me the job and they changed my life. And that will always be my first thought of ESPN and Connecticut. It saved my life. I was in a dark place. I was in a bad place. And I had always dreamed of getting out of Nebraska. I always thought, oh, maybe I'll go shit, maybe to Texas, maybe somewhere, you know, wherever. I'll just take whatever job I can get and just get out of here just so I can, you know, continue about my life. Never did I think that next stop would have been ESPN. But thank God it was. Thank God it was because, ladies and gentlemen, taking that leap and going to ESPN and following my dreams was the best thing I ever done. Because ladies and gentlemen, this last six years, as great as college was, as much fun as I had with my friends, as many great memories it had, as much as we partied, as many things I accomplished, nothing has been like these past six years. Ladies and gentlemen, I've got to do and see things that I never could have ever dreamed of. Things that when I tell people, I'm not sure if they even believe me because they're just that outrageous. But I've lived them and I've done these things. And I've done them all before 30 too, the last six years. And man, what a ride it's been. What an amazing ride it's been. And I tell y'all, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change any of it, you know. Get to ESPN as a PA, production associate which is like three or four steps lower than the job I had in Nebraska, let me tell you. But it's ESPN, how could I say no? A PA for about a year. Get promoted to a content associate, and then things turn up. You know, been there a year, a year and a half, two years, and I'm starting to build, you know, a little bit of a reputation showing these producers that, you know, I'm not just some guy that's walking around smiling with tattoos and dreads. I'm actually got some talent. And I'm getting chances and I'm getting to do all of these different things. And I learned so much during the process. I learned what corporate America is like. I learned what being a medium sized or small fish in a massive pond was like. Because in Nebraska, I was maybe a medium big fish in a very, very small pond. So now I'm learning so much. And I really treat ESPN and this like six years in Connecticut like, like it was like an extended grad school, right? 
I really feel like I learned how to be a man here in Connecticut, here at ESPN. And through all of that, I became a father, found out I was a dad. That changed my life. Yeah, that was really tough. Yeah, to this day, it's hard sometimes, but it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Anybody that knows me that's listening to this podcast knows my son is my guy, that's my twin, that's my dog. And that happened to me while I was in Connecticut. His first bedroom with me was in Connecticut. My first home was in Connecticut. I got my second dog in Connecticut. I built a family in Connecticut. And these are all the things that come to me when I reflect and think about my time here. And it's beautiful. Yes, I hated the cold. Yes, I hated the weather. Yes, ultimately, I do not care for the East Coast. The people are mean. It's gloomy. But damn if I haven't learned a lot. Damned if I haven't got myself a little more edge now because of this place. Damned if I, I do not take the things that I learned out here and use them for the rest of my life. And real quick story, real funny thing is my father actually, during this time in his life, lived in Connecticut as well. And to me, that's just wild in itself. My father, of course, being from Boston, not being far from Connecticut, but still think about that. How do we both end up in Connecticut? I grew up in California. I've lived all over. I went to college in Nebraska. Do I think coincidence? Not a chance. Do I think I needed to come out here? Yeah. Do I think my dad needed to come out here when he came out here? Yes. And I wouldn't be surprised if he would say he learned a lot of the similar things I've learned while I was here. And to me, that's wild as well. And ultimately, I really think if I, you know, want to talk about my time in Connecticut. Like I said, it's really out of character. But of course, it's ESPN. It's the worldwide leader in sports. And now I've left ESPN for the second time. The second time. Oh, my goodness. I didn't want to leave the first time. And I've left twice now. And when the first time I left, I'll tell y'all, man, I was devastated. I think I maybe no, I didn't talk to y'all about this. I don't think the podcast was even a thing at the time when I left. But let me tell you guys, I was I was terrified. I was sad. I loved ESPN so much. Everything I did, my job was so cool. I had so much fun every single day. Even on my worst day, even on my busiest days, I still was so happy to be at ESPN. I was so proud. I couldn't wait to tell people I worked at ESPN. Not because I think that it made me like better than anybody or because I think a corporation makes you anything special, but because I had always said I was going to be there and I did it. I did it. I told you I was going to be at ESPN and now I'm here. So I made sure every chance I got, I let people know. My name is Brian Cole and I work over at ESPN because I was so proud. And I don't know if I ever had done anything that I was like super, super proud of. You know, even with my son, I wasn't proud at how I became a father. I'm, I, I, you know, at times I feel proud of like, you know, the dad I am. I always think you can do better when it comes to parenting, especially when you're parenting from away. You know, how proud can I really be? Um, but I don't think I ever did anything I was really proud of before. Not even graduating college. You know, I was just so ready to be done with that college. I don't think I really sat and reflected on how like dope it is to be a college graduate. So I was never really proud of anything. But ESPN, I was proud of. So when I first left, I was devastated and it was tough. So then when I got the call back for ESPN 2, though, I was ecstatic. I was like, oh, hey, man. Wow. Y'all want me back? Man, shucks, man. I'll, man, I'll come back. I'll pull up. Oh, and y'all give me a promotion, too? Oh, bet. I'm, I'm there. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go. And that's what I did. I came back to ESPN without a second thought. Pulled up. And 
I'll never bash ESPN. I'll never say anything bad about ESPN. I love it. But I can truly say when I came back, it was different. Now, I don't know if it's different because we're in a pandemic still, because of all the negative publicity ESPN has, because of all the people that have left, especially minorities, or if it's because I had already left this place. And, you know, when you go and leave something, especially like we talked about earlier, you know, when I close the book, it's time to move on. There's a separation there because things end, right? That's what I've been taught since I was a little kid, saying goodbye to my friends when I'm in second, third grade years old. Things end. Friendships end. People pass away. Things end. That's what we're taught. That's what we learn. And we, like I said, we grow numb to it. So maybe that's what I did when I left ESPN initially. So when I came back, things just felt a little different. And, uh, but you know, we did the job. We worked. We learned a lot. You know, had fun doing it. You know, always going to have fun with doing things. And because this is a fairly new job, I'm, I'm locked in. I'm, like I said, things are different, but I'm locked in. I'm trying to learn the job and I'm pitching ideas and I'm doing things and I'm like, doing a, doing great at it, actually, man, having a great time. It's college football season and I'm locked all the way in trying to, you know, be the best associate producer I could be. But like I said, it was alarming that I wasn't really sad to say goodbye to ESPN. When I left ESPN, my last day there, I truly felt as if this was it, right? Not that I won't come back, because I do think I'll be back again one day in the future, in a different capacity for sure. But it definitely was like, oh yeah, it's over here. It's over here. Not that anything necessarily negative happened or anything like that, but it just really felt like in my bones, like it's over. When I left for the XFL, I'm not gonna lie, like, I knew I was coming back and I knew it was a good, it was gonna be a couple years, you know? This felt different. But the thing that really gets me sad, and even to this moment, it really gets me, is the thought of leaving Connecticut. And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you guys, I never thought I'd feel that, especially now when I lived in Bristol and maybe it's living in New Haven for the past two years. Those of y'all aren't familiar with New Haven, it's a much bigger city, there's things going on, there's food, there's culture, the people are great. It's mostly minorities, very, very opposite of Bristol, very opposite of Nebraska. And it's a place like, I feel like, wow, I'm finally in a place that I've been like, actually can enjoy. I mean, the water, I bought a house, the crib's great. It's been a blessing. And it's just so interesting to me because I always thought like, the only thing I would miss is ESPN. And of course the relationships I made out here. But really, I'm gonna truly miss Connecticut truly truly miss Connecticut and it's funny to sit here and say that out loud but I will but I don't say all that to say that I'm not gonna miss ESPN either I'm actually gonna miss ESPN quite a lot because like I said just like Connecticut ESPN saved me and it's funny the other day somebody was asking me like yo what are your like top moments of ESPN you've done so many dope things you've done so many things XFL Monday Night Football traveling shooting features interviews out of character what are your favorite things and I, and I really wanted to put together like a top five list of like my favorite moments at ESPN. And it was tough because like so much has happened. And I'm sure there's things I've forgotten. I'm sure I want to update this list. And like, I do wonder like 10, 20 years from now, what my stories at ESPN will be. But right now, like when I think of ESPN, these are like the things that I really think like I'll always talk about. First things first, ESPN, especially like the early years before, like everything I moved to New York and LA, used to always see 
celebrities, right? You used to always see celebrities, you always see talent. And one thing they told us from Jump when I got hired was, yo, do not talk to celebrities. Don't ask for pictures. It's unprofessional. You know, these people are your coworkers. These people are guests here sometimes. You know, act professional. This is a professional setting. Don't be a fanboy. So a lot of times it was very, very easy. Like I met a lot of celebrities and saw a lot of people, but nobody that I really like freaked out on much there was a couple people that i freaked out on when i saw um but it really didn't happen much um because like i said i was there like shoot i'm brian colbert like i'm supposed to be here too i also be happy to see me you know <laughs> walking around like that and but there was this one time <laughs> and i'll never forget it because like i've never like felt like starstruck before and like you always hear about being starstruck in like movies and cartoons and stuff like that but you never really like think like as a grown man you're ever gonna get starstruck and i'm walking to the cafeteria ESPN's dope, but has its own cafeteria with like chefs and stuff like that and like bomb food. I'm walking to the cafeteria and I look up, you know, you're on your phone, whatever, doing whatever, texting, whatever. And I look up and walking towards me is Charles Woodson and Randy Moss. And for those of y'all who do not know who Charles Woodson and Randy Moss are, they are the two best ever at their position in at football. Charles Woodson was a defensive back, played corner, played nickel, played safety, was a Raider. My favorite player of all time, Randy Moss, Hall of Fame wide receiver. Also was a Raider. One of my favorite wide receivers of all time. And they're both walking towards me right now in suits. And so many things crossed my head. Oh, my gosh. Those are like my favorite players ever. Oh, my goodness. We're in the same building. Oh, my goodness. Working for the same company. Oh, my gosh. We're co-workers. Then another thought came over me. Oh, my gosh. You got to say something. You got to ask for a picture. This got to be the one time, right? Nobody's around. Who's going to notice, Brian? Ask for a picture, ask for a picture. And then when I finally got doing all these thoughts, I realized that they were like 15 to 20 feet like away from me at the time. Like they had already walked past me. We gave each other the like black man head nod and that was it. I didn't say anything. I was so starstruck. I didn't realize I missed my opportunity to tell people that like were on my wall as a kid how much I admired them. But ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you guys, just walking by them, just being in their midst, just getting that head nod from them. It's something I will never forget. So that had to have been on the list. That had to have been on the list because y'all know how crazy of a Raider fan I am. And there were some great Raiders, some of the greatest. Another thing that I'll never, ever forget at ESPN is shooting dice on national television with Kenny Mayne. And I hope, like, if you're watching, you could, like, see the clip right now. We had this thing called a fantasy football marathon where we would be on air for 48 straight hours, maybe even longer. I don't remember how long, but it was like a ridiculous amount of time. And within these 48 hours, more than likely, I would be on campus the whole time, not sleeping. And that's what ESPN was like. You didn't sleep much. You worked all the time. You didn't sleep much. But like I said, it was fun work. It was rewarding work. So we did it. We did it with a smile. And the fantasy football marathon was something that I worked on for like three or four straight years. And when you work on something for that long, you become like a like a senior in that thing. And you are able to run things. You're able to call the shots. And I was in a position where I was able to floor produce for the fantasy draft, which is like the coolest thing in the world. I'm surrounded by some of like the NFL's like biggest names as far as media goes. Rex Ryan's there, Diana Rossini, Kenny Mayne. There's all these different people and they're doing this like draft, but it's like two o'clock in the morning. And like I said, this is a marathon. So everybody's tired. All these people have been working. We're all been working. We're all delirious. And this draft is going. And anybody that's been a part of a fantasy draft or any type of professional draft at all, these things carry on. And towards the end of the rounds, nobody cares. Everybody's auto drafted. Nobody's really paying attention. And we're getting to that point of the show where nobody's really paying attention. Nobody cares. But we still have TV to do, right? We still have television to do. And we're on for hours. Like I said, it's a marathon. 
And so I'm standing there. I'm on the floor. I'm trying to make sure everything's working okay. Kenny Mayne walks up to me. He's holding this big old wooden thing that's like a cornhole goal. I don't know if you guys have ever seen cornhole before. And he's holding it in the air and he says, hey, do you want to go outside and play cornhole with me? This is Kenny Mayne, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Center's ESPN's Kenny Mayne. Of course, Kenny Mayne. Of course I want to go play cornhole with you, Kenny Mayne. So that's what we go do. We go outside. We go into the middle of ESPN's campus. And we begin to play cornhole. He takes his. I take mine. We go out there. So my producer hits me and he says, Brian, it'd be really cool if we brought a camera out there with you guys. And just recorded you guys playing. And I was like, okay, cool, whatever, no big deal. So they bring the camera crew out there. We're out there playing cornhole. And throughout the rest of the marathon, while they did the draft, they took little hits of me and Kenny Mayne. And they would say Brian Colbert and Kenny Mayne. And they would do little hits on national television. And they would show me and Kenny Mayne. We played catch. We played cards for a little bit. We played cornhole. And as if doing those things wasn't cool enough, Kenny Mayne pulls out dice. And a couple dollars out of his pocket. He asked me if I have money. I had a couple dollars as well. And he says, let's shoot craps. And ladies and gentlemen, me and Kenny Mayne shot craps for real money with real dice on national television during a fantasy football marathon. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the coolest things I've ever done. One of the coolest things I'll ever get to say I did. Much like myself, Kenny Mayne is no longer with ESPN. But let me tell you guys, Kenny Mayne was an amazing individual. One of the first, like, talent, quote-unquote, to really, like, come up and, like, talk to me and befriend me. I remember I was doing one of my first stand-ups ever with the ESPN microphone, and I was in SportsCenter's studio. I wasn't supposed to be there, mind you, but I was in there. And Kenny Mayne walked up and helped me with my first stand-up. I was so nervous. But Kenny Mayne jumped up there and was mad cool and, and made it the coolest thing ever. And just having a stand-up with him to start one of my first projects on camera with ESPN, man, it was huge. And it honestly, was probably a game-changer, so... Shout out to Kenny Mayne. Um, that's a huge thing I'll always talk about. Somebody I'll always love in the game, even if you don't remember my name. Huge shout out to Kenny Mayne. And another great thing, like I said, I mean, I had a lot of fun in ESPN, but we also worked. We also worked really, really hard. And so I have to mention working on Monday Night Football. Working on Monday Night Football, I really think changed the game for me when it came to like my career. It was like the stamp on my time at ESPN that said I was one of the best of the best at what I was doing. Because when you're in event production, like I was in, you have so many things that you could work on, right? There's Wimbledon, there's college football, there's basketball, NBA, WNBA, college sports. But everybody knows at ESPN, if you're working on Monday Night Football, you just cut from a different cloth. You get to move different. Your checks come in a little differently. Your hours are differently. Your workload is definitely different as well. But it's definitely just a different type of thing when you work for Monday Night Football. And I can truly say, working for Monday Night Football was really the first time I really felt like I was part of, like, an exclusive club that was ESPN. You know, you think of ESPN and you think, oh, it's the top of the top, right? You didn't get fancy dinners. You're taking fancy flights. You're staying in fancy hotels, all these things. That's not really always the case because there's so many people at ESPN. ESPN is such a big pond. They don't have resources to do that for everybody. But for Monday Night Football, man, I'm talking fancy dinners comfortable flights beautiful hotel rooms staying in places like the downtowns of cities that i'd never even been in that's what monday night football was bumping arms with some of the best in the business hearing stories that you never thought you'd hear insider information 
meeting people you've seen on TV for years. That's what Monday Night Football was. And when I was there, like I said, I felt like, okay, now I'm at the top. Now I'm one of the best of the best. And I feel like that's what got me XFL. I feel like that's what got me the XFL job. And it really changed the game. Because when you say you worked on Monday Night Football, people at the company just look at you differently. So it's always something that, like, I say right away. It was like, what did you do at ESPN? Well, the first thing is Monday Night Football. Not just because it has such a big name, but because it was so rewarding. Man, I worked some crazy hours. I was really putting in 70 to 90-hour weeks. You could check the W-2s. That is not a joke. Every week, putting in big hours. But I loved it, and I was good at it. And they showed me love for it. And my coworkers loved me for the work I was doing. It felt great. It felt great felt great to travel to games get to be on the field take pictures do all that stuff like i said it feels like what you dream espn is and of course i got to do a lot of cool stuff and travel and do other things when i had football it was constant it was regular and it was a grind i just never experienced before and i also feel like it really prepared me for what was coming next and it also taught me what i was capable of doing the workload i was capable of sustaining the sleep schedule things like that it taught me a lot so Monday Night Football is definitely third on the list, man. When we went five, four, three, we got two more on the list. Monday Night Football definitely had to mention that. Um, man, what a crazy ride that was. Now another one, like I said, I didn't fanboy a lot, but back in the day, su- celebrity superstars would come through Bristol all the time because First Take was on Bristol's campus. Stephen A was there, Skip Bayless was there, and they always used to have the craziest guests. They still do, but it was very, very guest heavy back then. And Robert De Niro was on campus pumping a movie. I believe it was like some boxing movie with Kevin Hart or something like that. I don't really remember the name of it, but Robert De Niro was on campus. And I knew he was there, but I didn't, you know, you never know where these people are at. They go to so many different places. It's called a car wash where they jump from studio, studio, studio and do a bunch of different shows while they promo, whatever they're trying to promo. So I'm at work. I go to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom. I turn around. And behind me is Robert De Niro. He had just left the stall himself. And he was washing his hands. Now, I don't even know if he's really washing his hands yet. I just know he had just finished in the bathroom. Because I'm pretty sure I stopped him before he even got a chance to wash his hands. I know I stopped him before I got a chance to wash my hands. Let me tell you guys. But that's Robert De Niro. That's you talking to me. That's Robert De Niro. Good fellas. In the bathroom standing right in front of me. Robert De Niro. And ladies and gentlemen, I didn't fumble the ball like I did with Charles Wilson and Randy Moss, no pun intended. Oh, I did. Oh, I was going to say something because I love Robert De Niro. I love all your movies. He's one of my favorite actors. I think he's hilarious. I think he's talented. Doesn't really make bad movies. And so right away I said, you're Robert De Niro. And he laughed because I'm sure he knows he's Robert De Niro. And I'm sure he's gotten that response plenty of times. I was shocked, though. Just got done shaking my Johnson. I was shocked. I said, you're Robert De Niro. I'm sorry, I know we're in a bathroom right now, but I have to shake your hand. But like I said, I was was shocked, so I didn't really think that. I just got done touching my penis, and I was shaking his hand without washing my hands. But he didn't care. Robert De Niro is such a nice guy. He shook my hand right away. Piss on it and everything. Probably had all kind of stuff on my hand. Hadn't washed it yet. But Robert De Niro sat there, and he smiled, and he shook my hand. He said, how you doing, young man? How is your day going? I said, Mr. De Niro, my day is going amazing. I'm shaking your hand right now. Never in my life did I think I'd be shaking Robert De Niro's hand. I can't wait to tell my mother. He smiled. He laughed. 
we go about washing our hands and we're talking. He's saying, you know, hey, I'm, you know, working on this movie, blah, blah. And it's just a real quick, casual conversation. And he leaves the bathroom and so do I. And that's it. But ladies and gentlemen, that was Robert De Niro. I shook Robert De Niro's hand. You see in movies or you hear old people talk about like shaking Sinatra's hand. Well, I shake De Niro's hand. And I think one day that's going to mean just as much as shaking Sinatra's hand. So I was definitely at the top of my list of things I've done at his pimp. Ladies and gentlemen, there's one thing and one thing only that will always reign supreme when it comes to my time at ESPN. And that is the creation of Out of Character. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not listened to my previous episodes, Out of Character was originally on ESPN. Out of Character was something that I invented during my time as a content associate because I was trying to prove to ESPN that I deserve a shot on camera. Nobody really had crossed from production, especially being a PA and being in like Cap and ESPN Next. That's what the entry-level positions are called. Nobody really made that crossover. People had tried, but it really hadn't worked out. And I had already done a couple of like funny videos that like had really done well. Like I said, Kenny made it help me with one. And I had done these things that like really just did well in the company. And I decided to try to do these funny videos with talent at ESPN. I wanted to show our new and younger talents personalities that it's not just news and blah, 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 that they actually had a lot of personality and that there was ways that we can make them laugh and do new things and just make content, easy content, free content, content that costs the company nothing. So I go about do it and the finished piece, we end up calling it out of character. And man, did that not change my whole life? Did that not change everything? I'll tell you guys right now, if it wasn't for that moment, if it wasn't for that content, if it wasn't for out of character, I would have never gotten the XFL job, ever. I had never worked in social media in my life. Out of character was my first real dive into social media and that social media sphere, making digital videos, making digital content. I'd never done anything like that. I'd only worked in TV and radio and print. Out of character gave me a shot to try something else. Because you know media is always evolving and social media is the next thing. And it's something I kind of been reluctant to learn. And also something that we didn't really learn in school was going to be something that stuck. I cannot tell you the amount of professors at my college that told me social media didn't matter and that it wasn't going to be a big deal and that we didn't really need to learn what social media was. Boy, were they wrong. Boy, were they so wrong. And boy, do I wish I would have learned more while I was in college because I definitely felt so behind. But out of character forced me to learn everything about social and digital. And I'm still learning because it wasn't something I originally took super serious. It was just something I wanted, like I said, used to catapult me to do other things for ESPN. But as I continued out of character, as I continued to make content and realize, oh, my gosh, I can do all this by myself. I don't need a machine like ESPN to make content. I don't need a machine to tell me and validate me um, and my broadcast acumen. I know what I'm capable of. I know what I'm here to do, and I'm going to show you guys. And I've been able to do it for the past three years. And look what it's become. You know, we have a long way to go. There's a lot of growing to do, but I'm very proud of what we've done in the three years. And like I said, out of character, it's gotten me new jobs, right? Right right now, I don't think I'd be where I'm at. I don't even think I would have got the AP thing it was for out of character. Out of character showed people my ability to edit, to create content, my hustle, and also what I've been trying to tell people for years that, yo, I'm made for this. I'm supposed to be in front of this camera. I'm supposed to be in front of this microphone call it cocky call it whatever you want but there's not many things i know for certain but that's one thing i know for certain is that this is what i'm supposed to be doing that i'm supposed to be on the airwaves talking to people reaching out to people connecting with people 
and out of characters allowed me to do that in so many different ways but it all started at espn it all started as something i wanted to pitch to espn and i truly truly think that me doing that changed the game forever i mean you can look at content now you can look at the way espn looks at making digital pieces and adding comedy to sports and culture to sports you see it the timestamps are there you can see the changes i mean there's been literal copy and paste captions and memes that we've made out of character that espn and other big outlets have taken happens all the time and i used to get upset about it but now i just take it as like man that's a big pat on the back whenever somebody steals something whenever i see a tv edit a tv manipulation that we never saw before out of character <laughs> i smile because i'm like dang we did that because it wasn't just me it was a team of people you always hear me talk about director lex oc is nothing without director lex there's plenty of people editors idea men producers creators that all have touched out of character or just been part of interviews that have changed the game and all that stems from a moment in the edit room at espn and i had so many moments in edit rooms at espn i had so much time spent there and now that like i'm physically leaving connecticut i know that that door is closing for probably a really long time and even with saying that i'm not super bummed out about that part because like i said chapters close things end you separate but i'll be lying if i say i'm not devastated leaving connecticut and i and i haven't really felt that in a long time leaving cali was tough but japan and england nebraska wasn't tough at all i mean it's hard to leave my friends it's always hard to say bye to friends but moves that you know you have to make and just get going and this move i know i have to make as well but it's just different and like i said to start the show maybe it's so different because it is a scary move but after sitting here talking to y'all for the past hour or so and really just reflected on these last six years man how many scary moves have we talked about just in this episode talked about going out and making a brand by yourself talk about moving from nebraska to the east coast when you know nothing about it blindly moving and going to the apartment and trying to figure things out and let me tell you they didn't pay us a lot but they ain't paying us a lot to come out here either so it was definitely tough being a father stepping up and being a dad especially a dad from far away trying to learn this thing on the fly i didn't get nine months all of these things are scary right but i did it and while going through it it really didn't seem as scary it was just something that had to get done and i'm so glad i sat here with you guys and spent all this time talking about connecticut and reflecting because i truly feel now that i'm actually not scared I'm not worried at all because this is just part of life. This is what we do. This is what I do. And I'm grateful and blessed to have been able to do this and take so many chances and see so many different things and take so many different risks because so many people live life never taking risks. 
never chancing things, never betting on themselves. And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell y'all right now, me going to San Antonio like this is the biggest gamble and the biggest bet on myself I've ever taken. Yes, even bigger than going from Nebraska to Connecticut. Going to ESPN is a no-brainer, right? Going to one of the biggest corporations in the world, the top of your field, is a no-brainer. But leaving that and going into a new environment that's unfamiliar. Like I said, I've built a home here. I bought a home here. I built my way up in a company. I gave six years to a company, damn near. And now I'm starting over. Not necessarily starting over, but I'm moving on. Yeah, it's a big risk. But ladies and gentlemen, as you go through life and you reflect on the things you've been through, you'll truly realize that God has put every single thing in your path to prepare you for what he has next. God has put every single thing in your life that you needed to be prepared for this next blessing. And now that I've reflected and truly sat and talked about that, I realized that. I've also realized that life is scary. We talk about my sister and her promotion. And I think of all the things she had to overcome to get that promotion. I'm sure that was scary. I'm sure that was terrifying. I wonder if she would say it was scary and terrifying or realize at the time it was. But ain't nothing wrong with being scared, right? Ain't nothing wrong with things being terrifying if you built for it. And ladies and gentlemen, I promise y'all I'm built for it. Ladies and gentlemen, I promise y'all that this move will be my best move, much like going from Nebraska to Connecticut to follow my dreams and work at ESPN has been my best move so far. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 34, episode 34 of the Out of Character Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brian Colbert. My friends call me BC. You can call me BC too if you're listening. And if you're listening, we appreciate you for listening. If you're a first-time listener, thank you for being here. Thank you. This was a weird episode to jump into. It was a very reflective episode. A lot of me just talking. But if you're still here, I appreciate you for being here. We hope you come back. And if you are a returning listener and you did come back, thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for being a part of this journey with me. Out of character kind of stories my journey in Connecticut. You know, it was created two years after me coming out here. It has evolved much like I've evolved out here. You know, I've become a man out here. I've become a father out here, a homeowner. I got stocks, 401ks, investment properties, things like that, right? I've become a man out here. And now I will take everything that Connecticut, that Nebraska, that England, that Japan, that California has taught me. And I will use that to be the very best version of myself in San Antonio, Texas. And I can't wait to tell y'all and update y'all on the things I'm working on. I can't wait to tell y'all stories about what being with my parents is like after all these years, right? Because I know that's going to be an adjustment process. I can't wait to tell you stories about my son adjusting to me moving again. You know, the first crib he's ever seen me in was in Connecticut. He's only known his dad lives in Connecticut. And now I got to explain to him that I'm moving again. I'm not moving to where you at, son, but I am moving closer. Ladies and gentlemen, I will be a very, very close flight to my son in a very inexpensive flight, which is a blessing. Like I said, I'm going to be closer to family. And I can't wait to see what that does for my mental, 
what that does for my spirit, what that does for my soul, also what that does for my career. Because I've seen what having family has done for others, you know, having them close. And I'm a big mama's boy, and I'll be in driving distance of my mama. You know, I know she's excited, and I hope she knows how excited I am to be close to her. And yes, I'm sad to leave Connecticut because this is such a beautiful chapter of my life closing. But I am so excited and so ready for what's to come. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, I hope you approach those new and terrifying things that come up in your life. Because they are going to come. They always will come. Kids come. Marriage comes. Death comes. New jobs, new opportunities come. And I really do hope you attack those new scary things head on. I hope you think of me in this episode and realize that everything you've been through up to this point has prepared you for that scary obstacle, for that scary change, for that new transition, for that new relationship, for that new job. You're prepared. You're ready. God has prepared you. If I can do it, you can do it. If two kids that come from what me and my sister come from, first generation college students, if we can do it, I promise you, you can do it. Chase those dreams, people. Get after it. Because if you're listening, if you're watching right now, I promise you, out of character, this podcast, this brand, that logo was all built off of a dream. And off of chasing that dream and off of believing that dreams can be accomplished. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 34. Episode 34 of the Out of Character Podcast. And for the last time, we are signing out from Connecticut. When you see me again, we will be in a new studio. Yes, we have a new studio and it's bigger. You know we got to go bigger every time. When you see me again, I will be a Texas resident. A lot of things will change and a lot of things will be different. But ladies and gentlemen, I guarantee you the content is going to keep coming. There's a lot of things in there. There's a lot of things we don't know. But I know one thing is the outer character will never go anywhere. It'll live forever. Thank you so much for being here. Connecticut, Connecticut, if you're listening, thank you so much for everything you've taught me this past six years. And to Connecticut, farewell. And to my old C family, as always, God bless. You're sitting on the couch, keep procrastinating over and over. Why are you making it complicated? It's easy.